Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you all. Um, as I said, my name is Matt Sprankle, and it's great to worship with you all here on the Lord's Day. Uh, I'm married. My wife, Joy, and my three sons will be here next week. They're a little bit under the weather, uh, which it sounds like some others are experiencing as well. And uh, uh, if we haven't met, I'm the associate pastor at Church in the Valley Ontario Ranch. Um, I've been on staff at that church uh, for several years, uh, but last year I, I came on staff full-time. Uh, before that, I was a teacher at Claremont High School for 17 years. I taught history, government economics uh, for a long time. Uh, I came to Christ uh, in college at 19, and in a lot of ways I grew up in the faith at Church in the Valley. At that time, we were meeting in Diamond Bar, and uh, after um, being at a Cal Baptist for several years, I committed my life to Christ. Sh shortly after that, I graduated and uh, started attending CIV, and I'm very grateful for how God has uh, grown me and, and how he's taught me how to walk with him and really about his grace. And so I'm excited today to preach to you about the, the good news, the grace of God to transform us and to change us in ways that we cannot change ourselves. The power of God to take us from where we are and to make us sons and daughters and all that that means. So the passage that I'd like us to uh, focus on this morning is from Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. I think you can see it on the screens or on your handout. And this is at the beginning of a letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church. He didn't plant that church, but he wrote the letter as something like a fundraising letter. He intended to go to Spain and start churches in Spain. And so he wrote this letter, and this is his magnum opus. This is the gospel that Paul had preached all around the Roman world, all condensed into one letter. And at the beginning, he says something very encouraging. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I want to pray for our time. I know several have prayed, but it's really not by uh, my words or eloquence, but the word of God working in us that we're able to hear and God's power to work in us. And so would you pray with me? Father, we give you praise and thanks as we gather in the name of the Lord Jesus on his day. And we ask that you give us eyes to see what you want to show us and ears to hear what you want to say to us. Please give us soft hearts that will respond in faithful obedience to what you command of us today. Lord, unless your spirit moves in and among us, these words are powerless. So please teach us now, for we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. This passage at the beginning of Romans promises that God will change us if, if we believe. He will change us if we believe, not if we do, if we believe. This power is power we do not have to change. It's good news. That's why it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now the question is, when I first read this, when I became a Christian, I read this passage, it didn't make any sense to me. How does death, the burial, the resurrection... The ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of God the Father, where he rules and reigns over heaven and earth. How does that good news proclamation have the power to save? How does that information somehow have the power to change me? It doesn't make any sense at first. I want to back up as we talk about it today, <clears throat> and I want to talk about change. The question I want to pose to us as we're considering these things is, what would you change in yourself if you could? What would you change in your life? For my own testimony... Since I, I don't know many of you, I know, I know many of you, it's, it's great to see so many friends that I've known for years, but for many of you, we, we don't know one another. So my story is, I was, I was born in Riverside, and I was adopted when I was two by Mike and Sandy Sprinkle. I was the youngest of three kids, and uh, I grew up in the Coachella Valley. 
I was a swimmer, and I was pretty good, a lot of promise, and I became a water polo player later in high school, and I was hopeful to go to a big school like USC or UCLA or UCSD and play water polo. That was pretty much my ambition in life. <laughs> that was it. Go to college, party, and play water polo. That summed it up. Uh, I was a nominal Catholic. My mom and dad, uh, they took us to mass, you know, every once in a while. But as I got into high school in the 90s, like a lot of my friends, got into all sorts of sin. Got into chasing around women, sexual morality, addiction, drugs and alcohol. Began to suffer in my school, suffer in my swimming, suffer with my family. I became a brawler. Got into a lot of fights, physically, verbally, had a lot of enemies. I just thought that's how life was. That, 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 that was just how it, how, how it happened, how, how it went. It didn't really occur to me that this wasn't normal. <laughs> there was a lot of fraud in my life, a lot of lying and hiding. Because if I told the truth, I wouldn't be able to do what I wanted to do. So I had to lie so I could do what I wanted to do. Maybe you can identify with that. That's why we lie. And I dishonored my family. One of the things that constantly convicted me, although I didn't have much of a moral conscience, was I was dishonoring my parents. I didn't please them. I wanted to please my dad and my mom, and I wasn't. Well, I intended, like I said, to go to school, play water polo, and swim, but God had a different plan. I broke my hand and my knee my senior year. So I missed the scouts, I missed the opportunities, and I had no prospects going into my freshman year of college. And so we got a phone call from Cal Baptist, a coach that we knew was offering money for me to come and swim there. They were starting a new program. My dad said, you're going. <laughs> You're the only school offering you money. You're going. So that's where I went. And I didn't want to go. I despised Cal Baptist. At the time, it was three buildings in a dirt lot. A bunch of Christians singing, you know, kumbaya songs to Jesus. And they wanted me to go to a camp my freshman year like I was six. So, you know, so I ditched that and I went home and partied with my friends. And my lifestyle continued as it had done before. And I gathered around me friends who wanted to continue to, you know, enjoy the deeds of darkness, as I would later call them. And as time went on, I continually came into conflict with my coaches and my teachers and my friends, and eventually I was expelled. Now, for me, my identity was all wrapped around this, this skill, this swimming, this water polo. That's who I was. And when I was expelled from Cal Baptist, everything was shattered. I couldn't hide what I had done. My shame was out there. I'd have to go home, look all my friends in the eye, and say, yeah, I got kicked out of school. My parents would have to tell all their friends that their son got kicked out of college. And it absolutely broke me. The thing is, is I had tried to change many times. I tried to quit the things I was doing. I tried to live in a way that I considered to be righteous apart from God, and I could not do it. I tried many times, many times. I'd go to bed at night and say, why did I just do that all night long? I'm not going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to get up for practice. I'm not going to, and it would just happen again and again and again. I wanted to change. I could not change. And I learned that experientially. I didn't read it in the scriptures and then think about it and then understand it. I was experiencing a bondage I could not overpower. And I knew enough of what was right and wrong to know this wasn't good. Maybe you can identify with that. I think everyone can. So what needs to change? In your life, what are some things that are costing you? Maybe it's costing you friends. Maybe it's costing you family, honor, opportunity. There are things in your life that if you don't change, they're going to not only take your future, but they could take your very life. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul, in the same letter, in the book of Romans, he describes the dynamic, this human psychology that I didn't understand. But when I read this all those years ago, it was like, that's exactly who I am. That's exactly how I feel. I have a guy in our community group who told us that he came to Christ because he read this passage we're about to read, Romans 7. He said he read it, and it was like it was reading him. This dynamic is something that everybody knows. From the little kid who hits his sister with a doll, you're like, Jimmy, why'd you do that? I don't know. I don't know. Or to the drug addict on the street. Why can't you stop? I don't know. I tried to change, but I can't. This is the bad news. 
This gospel that Paul's not ashamed of, this power of God to change us, it is good news in a world full of bad news. This is the bad news. The bad news is we don't have the power to change. There's no amount of education. There's no amount of self-control and stoicism. It doesn't matter how many podcasts you listen to of Jocko Willick or Jordan Peterson or some other stoic who's really self-controlled. That is not going to change you. You can't change on your own. Here's what the Bible says. This is Romans 7, 15 through 24. I do not understand what I do. I don't understand it. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. I agree the problem isn't I don't know what's good. I agree that my problem isn't I don't understand right and wrong. I know what's right and wrong. I can't do it. I can't do it. And Paul goes on to say, for I know that good itself, good all by itself, only good is not in me. It doesn't dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I cannot carry it out. Cannot. If we're honest with ourselves, when we look at the things in our character, in our life, the problems that we have that even no one else knows, the things we keep secret because we're ashamed and we don't want anybody to know because it'll cost us, and we try to change, we cannot change apart from Christ. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. This described me. And this has described me since. There have been times, many times in my life, where there is sin in me that I'm fighting and battling in my own way, and it's just beating me up. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Sin living in me. In verse 17, it says, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. This is a terrifying verse. There is something in us as human beings. There is something in us that is alive in us, that is more powerful than us, that has more force, that has more ability than we do. So I find this law at work in me, verse 21. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. If you were to ask me when I was 19, 18, 20, do you, do you want to be an honest man? Do you want to be a good man? Do you want to be a man of integrity? And say, oh, sure, I do. I want to. I have that desire, just like Paul says. But I see another law at work in me. I see another power at work in me. There's another power in me that is working, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. I'm now a slave to this force, to this power. It is enslaving me. That's what I am. This is a sober analysis of the true nature of human psychology, of our soul. What a wretched man I am. That's Paul's conclusion. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I need a savior. Who's gonna save me from this condition? We started with, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation to all who believe. Paul was rejoicing in this good news because he, as a Jew, a devout, God-fearing Jew, still sinned over and over and over. No matter how hard he tried to uphold the law of God, he couldn't. Who will save me from this body of death? Have you ever said that? 
Have you ever come to the point where you realize, I don't have enough willpower to change? I don't have enough understanding to change. How has this sin manifested itself in your life? We have to examine ourselves according to the word of God. So let's do that. Consider for a moment common sins that we all struggle with. What are the sins that you are in bondage to? That's what the gospel is here to save you from. For example, maybe grumbling and complaining. We don't think much of that, but that's a huge sin to God. To complain and to grumble is to not give gratitude and thanks to God. To complain about our parents, to complain about our spouse, to complain about our kids, to complain about our teachers, our bosses, our pastors. To complain, to grumble. Maybe you've tried to stop, keep your mouth closed, but you can't. You have a sour disposition. There's sexual immorality of all kinds. Fornication, pornography, various forms of lusts that we keep hidden, especially in Christian congregations. We don't want to talk about the lusts in our heart because we're ashamed and we're afraid of punishment. We're afraid of loss, of being disfellowshipped from people so we don't speak the truth. But it's there. And we get our willpower, we summon it up, and we're going to change. It's going to be great, and we can't. There's pride, self-exaltation. Some of us are domineering, and there are people in our lives, and we hammer them down like nails. And over the years, it just wrecks our relationships. And there's fights and there's conflict and they tell us what they think and we tell them what we think and we say we're gonna change and we don't change. It destroys marriages, it destroys families, it destroys businesses, it destroys churches. Pride. There's financial stupidity. We're gonna do better this time. We're not gonna make those poor decisions and we find ourselves deeper and deeper in debt and bondage. Neglected relationships. Perhaps you choose cowardice to stay silent when you should speak. Or you're a tyrant. You hurt those that you've been called by God to bless. There's laziness, which eats up and destroys all that we're trying to build. There's lying and hiding and secret lives, drunkenness, drug addiction. You can fill it in. What needs to change? Where do you need to be saved from the power that is in our members apart from Christ? You have to ask this question. If you do not ask this question, then God is not going to be able to work in you. We have to come to the point where we realize, I have a, what a wretched man I am. Who can save me until we're ready and we're begging God to save us? We're not going to be saved. It's the humility and the fear of the Lord that precedes salvation. Now, you may think, well then, if I just clean myself up, if I just do some good things, if I can just get a little self-control and fix this area of my life, and we all know people who were drunks their whole life, they got sober, 12 steps, I had a co-worker for years, he, was, he had blown his life apart, lost his marriage, and he had been sober for 25 years. Fantastic. So that's it, right? I just, need to, I just need to change these things I'm doing. No. Our problem, according to God's word, is much deeper than what we do. Our problem is what we are and who we are. Even if we changed, even if we could change, that wouldn't save us. The scripture paints a picture of our condition. And this is something I heard at Cal Baptist. I, I wasn't a Christian, but I had to go to chapel and I had to go to these devotions for the swim team. And I had to go to Dr. Wilson's Bible survey class. And I'm just listening to all this stuff about God. It was like being a Cal Baptist was like being soaked in a bucket full of Jesus. It was just everywhere. You know, and I didn't really want, I didn't really want to do those things. I missed as much as I could and not get kicked out of school. I mean, I eventually did get kicked out of school, so I guess it didn't work. <laughs> but I, I heard this, this diagnosis and what I heard, what God was opening my ears to hear was it wasn't, it wasn't the doing. It was deeper than that. According to the scriptures, we have a problem and our problem is what we are and who we are. 
and we cannot fix it. We cannot fix our problem. Our problem is who we are and what we are. We're dead in Adam, completely unresponsive to God. You know how something's dead? I came out one time when I was a kid, and there was a cat, and he was dead in our front yard. It wasn't my cat, but he was dead. And I knew he was dead because I, I did one of these right here, and he didn't move. Yeah, it's gross, I know. When things do not respond to physical stimuli, they're dead. We do not respond to God apart from Christ. We don't hear him, we don't see him, we don't want him, we don't talk to him, we don't glorify him, we don't go to him. We live dead to God. This is our condition. This is our condition when we're born. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. In in Romans 5, 12, he says, therefore, just as sin, that sin, that power, that thing we just talked about that's got us, that's in us, that sin entered the world through one man, through the first man, through our federal head, Adam. Adam represented the human race to God. He was our federal head, our representative on behalf of the whole human race to come to God. When he sinned, we sinned. When he died, we died. We were in Adam. And in him came sin into this world and death through sin. And in this way, death to all people because all have sinned. And this is our native, apart from Christ's condition. We're dead. We tend to think that salvation is kind of like we're drowning in the ocean and God, he rows out in a boat and he throws us a life raft and we say, I'll grab it or I won't. You know, choose Jesus. Just grab that life raft. That's not how salvation works. We're not drowning in the ocean. We're dead at the bottom of the ocean. And unless God dives down and resurrects us, we are lost. He has to do it. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. God has to save. God has to act. God has to do it because I am dead. I could have a a beautiful potion that brings dead men to life. And I could go out to a graveyard and I could put out a table I could have this potion and I could scream out to all the people in the graves, come and get it. Nobody's coming. Well, because dead men cannot get out of the grave. This is our condition. This is what has to change. Another picture in the scriptures is we're in rebellion to God. It's not just what we do, it's, it's who we are. We're in rebellion to God. We're enemy combatants fighting against his kingdom. In Colossians 1.21 Paul writes, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies and hated him and were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. We don't worship God. We don't give God glory or thanks. We worship ourselves. The spirit of the age is selfie worship. What God does America worship? Selfie. That's who we worship. We do what we want, when we want, with whoever we want, for as long as we want, and nobody tells us to do something else. We want autonomy. I listened to the Supreme Court's oral arguments about the abortion case that just was decided. It's two and a half hours. Every justice, conservative and liberal, the one thing they kept saying is autonomy. Autonomy is our highest value. We don't want to offend autonomy. We have to balance autonomy. Autonomy is autonomos, self-autonomos law, self-law. The highest virtue for the human race is autonomy. My rule, I do what I want. I am God. That is not what God created us for. He created us for theonomy, theonomos, God's law. We are creatures created by God to love, glorify, know him, to live according to his will as a father and son and daughter. That's what God created us for, but we live independent lives and that's not neutral. We are in rebellion to God. 
enemy combatants tearing down and fighting against his glory. This is God's statement about our condition. And we cannot change ourselves. If we're at war with God, we could say, I'm going to lay down my weapons, but that doesn't end the war. God decides to make enemies friends. God decides to reconcile us or not. He has to do it. I can't do it. And then finally, we're orphans. We're spiritual orphans. We have no father. I used to work out of this gym, and in the back of the gym, there was these cats, these alley cats. And sometimes I'd go back there at nighttime and practice my messages before I'd preach. And I noticed this lady would drive up every night about 10 o'clock. And she would drive up in her car, and all these cats would come out of the bushes. I mean, like 10, 15 cats. Now, if you haven't seen alley cats, they are a sad lot. They're all scratched and emaciated, and their fur's all messed up, right? They're angry. They're super stressed out. They're always fighting each other for food, but not these cats. These cats came out. They were fat. They were sleek. They had all their hair. They were happy. She would pour kibble in a bowl. They wouldn't fight for it. They'd all wait their turn. You ever seen alley cats wait their turn? Why were they waiting their turn? Because she had taken personal responsibility for them. She had become their mother. She cared for them. She provided for them. And they didn't have to fight. They didn't have to scrap. They didn't have to rip each other apart because they had a parent to care for them. In this world, we are dead to God and orphans. We have no father to protect us and direct us and provide for us and correct us. And what does that mean? That means I have to lie. I have to fight. I have to get you back because if I don't get you back, I'm not gonna be okay and I gotta take care of myself. No, no, no. You should ask God. You should ask God. I can't ask God. There's no God. I got to take care of myself. So I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to hurt you. But if I have to, I will, because I will make sure that I'm okay because I am an orphan and I must take care of myself. I have no father in heaven to care for me. Why is there so much war and conflict? How many United Nations and leagues of nations and every other thing, NATO, do we have to have to end all the wars? We can't. We don't want to, but we have to, because that's the world we live in. We live in a world without God, where there is no father to care for us. We can't let go of our weapons because he's not there to care for us. But what if he was? What if you had a father who would care for you? You could do the good you know to do because he will take care of you. He's a good father and he'll take care of you. But if you're an orphan, you're all alone. This is why Jesus is repeatedly telling God's people, hey guys, stop. Your father's gonna take care of you. Do you believe it? In Matthew 7, 9 through 11, he says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? So stop freaking out. Stop lying. Stop manipulating. Stop pressuring people because you've got to get yours because your father will take care of you. He'll take care of you. Just ask. Just ask. And when you have a father in heaven who has all power and all knowledge and he loves you, so he's super strong, he's super smart, and he loves you, who can be against you? What do you need that he will not provide? What protection do you need that he'll not provide? What direction do you need that he'll not provide? He has it all and he'll give it to you if you are his son and daughter. But if you're an orphan, you're on your own. And you can see why people rip each other apart because they're spiritual orphans. We are in a condition we cannot change. And if I was adopted, it was because my parents chose me. I didn't choose myself. When I was in that adoption place, when I was in the foster system, they didn't ask me what I thought when I was two. I was chosen. If you're dead, God has to bring you back to life. If you're in rebellion to God, he has to call the truce and forgive you. He has to do it all. And that power in you, that sin that is pulling you towards sin, pulling you towards destruction, you don't have the power to overcome it. 
This is our condition. We are lost and hopeless apart from God. Lost and hopeless apart from God. And so this is the good news that Paul was so excited to preach. He's not ashamed of this gospel. This is the good news, and here it is. Romans 7, 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's the answer to Paul's question? Who will save me from this body of death? Jesus Christ. He will save me from this body of death. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, the slave to the law of sin. This is Paul wrapping up his last thought. And then he transitions to the crescendo of the crescendo, the heart of the book of Romans, the good news to all of you and to me and to everyone who hears it and believes. Therefore, there is no condemnation. There is no more guilt. There is no more shame. There is no more fear. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no more condemnation. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're brought from death to life. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're a son and daughter of God. And if you're in Christ Jesus, that sin which has overpowered you, you can overpower. But you have to be in Christ Jesus. And apart from Christ Jesus, there is no hope. For those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, who gives life, sets you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, he's talking about Moses, the 613 commandments of the Old Testament, the laws of God, for what the law of God was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. The law was powerless. God has a sign on the side of the road that says 65 miles an hour. That sign informs you what the law is, but it has no power to make you drive slow. Every command of God only condemns you because it tells you what you ought to do, but there's no power to do it. The problem with the human race isn't that they don't know what to do. The Greeks and Romans knew what to do. Read the Nicomachean Ethics. Aristotle's book is really good. He's got a lot of really great things there. Romans knew what to do. Greeks knew what to do. Syrians knew what to do. I knew what to do. I could not do it. My problem isn't a lack of education. My problem isn't a lack of moral standard. My problem is a lack of power. I could not do it. But here in the gospel, it says, for what the law of Moses was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, it was weakened by that sin. The sin was like, ooh, another law I can break. God did. Verse 3b, God did. God did it. God acted. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What does that mean? Here's what that means. I stand before God and God is my creator and his, his image bearer. I bear his image. I stand before him and I give an account to him for my life. Every day, the Lord may come and visit and evaluate my life. And when I stand before God, I'm standing before a God who is holy, perfect, righteous, right in every way. How do I come into fellowship with that kind of God? How do I come into a fellowship with a consuming fire when I'm impure? I can't. So what does God do? He removes my guilt. He washes my sin. There is no more sin. I never sinned. I am absolutely perfect in Christ. 
in Christ, I have never sinned. In Christ, I have completely fulfilled the righteous requirements of God. In Christ, I am holy. In Christ. What Jesus did was he became our new Adam, our new federal head. Our old Adam that we were in sinned and died. The new Adam that I joined to in faith, he died. He died for my sins. When he died, I died because I was in him. When he was raised, I was raised because I was in him. And he is alive now, and I am alive now because he is alive now, and I'm in him. And what that means is my sin, God is holy, right? His spirit is the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit live in an unholy Matt Sprinkle? He has to make Matt Sprinkle holy. How does he do that? By washing away the, the, the sin and guilt that I had. And he does it by the death of Christ. So I have been made pure and right in Christ. And now God's spirit, his Holy Spirit can come in and dwell in me. And when God's spirit dwells in me, I have power. You know why I couldn't change? Because I didn't have the power of God. You know where I get the power of God? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will never leave me the way it left Saul. He will never leave me the way he left Samson because I have been made a pure, spotless, clean vessel for his spirit. How do I get his spirit? How do I get God to dwell in me? I come to Christ in faith. I believe the gospel. And that's what happened to me. When I got kicked out of school, when I broke the last straw, I knew it was all over. I was in my dorm room. It was two o'clock in the morning. I'm on my knees. I'm a slobbing, bawling mess. I'm, I'm just, I don't know what to do. But I had been around Christians. I had heard the gospel. I had seen the power of God in people's lives. I had heard about the Holy Spirit. And that was always what attracted me, the Holy Spirit. My professor, Dr. Dan, I was in his class. He was talking about the Old Testament. And again, I'm not a Christian. I was probably high, honestly. I was probably high in that class. I was high most of the time. But I'm in this class and I'm listening to Dr. Dan talk about Saul, the king. And it says that the spirit of the Lord left Saul. And I stayed after class. None of the other Christian kids stayed after class. I stayed after class. And I was like, hey, Dr. Dan, um, so remember how you said the spirit of God left Saul? So like, does that happen to Christians? Does like, does the spirit of God leave Christians, you know, when they like keep sinning? And, and he said, uh, I don't remember what he said. <laughs> Honestly, I don't remember what he said. But here's the deal. Why did I care about that? because I wanted that power. I wanted that power. I had come to the end of myself. I had seen my own inability, my own weakness. I despised myself. And I had heard that the power of God could, could help me, change me. I believed it. I was believing it. And so when I got thrown out, the night that I got thrown out, I just cried out to God. So on my knees, and I was like, God, save me. I don't know what to do. I, I, I've destroyed my life. I'll do whatever you want. I give everything. I just, just save me. It was just this mumbling prayer of desperation. Save me. I believe what you said about yourself. And that was the moment. God's spirit did something in me. I had this sense, like when a dad says to his son, it's gonna be okay. It wasn't gonna be okay. Everything I had built for 19 years was gone, but it was gonna be okay. I had the peace of God. I immediately went downstairs to the very people who had just caught me and busted me. And I just started confessing all my sins. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I've been lying about this and I want to be a good guy. And I'm just dumping out all these sins. That's the spirit of God purging me, causing me to confess. And when I went home, I just was, I was changed. There were things in my life that I could not break. And he broke. He just broke them. There were other things in my life that I had to work through with the power that God gives me. And he gave me victory. 
Because it was in Christ. Because it was in Christ. This is the hope that we have. This is salvation God is promising. This is what I heard at Cal Baptist. This is the message of the gospel. And if you are here and you are not a Christian, there is sin in your life. There are things that are binding you that you will never break free from unless you're in Christ. And how do you do that? How do you get in Christ? The answer is simple. You believe. You join in Christ in faith. You repent, confess, and believe. When the people of Israel were bitten by snakes, Moses was told to build a pole and put a snake on that pole and hold it up. And he said, anybody who turned and looked, just turn and look, you'll be healed. You mean I don't have to get up and walk over the pole and rub the snake? I don't have to do a bunch of, no, no, just look in faith. Just look to the snake and you'll be healed of these bites. Turn and look at Christ and say, that's me and that's you and I want you. Repent. Acts 20, 21. This is what Paul told everybody. Everybody, he said this. He preached this gospel. I'm preaching the gospel today. He talked to them about what they needed. They, they knew in their hearts, I need this. And he said, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I had tried my willpower. I had tried rich people. I tried friends. I tried all sorts of things. It didn't work. So I finally turned to Christ. And I said, I want you. I need you. Would you save me? Would you help me? Would you give me power? That's what it means to be a Christian every day. Every day, God is convicting you of sin. You're putting sin to death. You see this thing in your life. You keep screwing up. You keep screwing up with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with your roommates, with your boss, things that nobody knows. You know them. What do you do? You turn to Christ. I need you to change me. I can't do this. I need you to change my heart. I need you to give me desires. I need you to change my mind. I need you to reorchestrate my day. I need you to remove these things. I can't do anything without you. It is a humble, childlike, desperate call to the God who saves. God loves to play the Savior. And he will put you in situations over and over again where you have no hope but him because he loves to play the Savior because he is the Savior. And when you reset that bone, when you turn to God in that humility and say, God, help me, change me, I, if you don't change me, I can't be changed. That kind of faith, that kind of desperation, dependence on God, that is when God works. Not our half pride, not our half prayers. I'll do 50, you do 50. It wasn't so bad, God. I'll do better next time. That, there's no place for that. It's the power of God for the salvation for all who believe. The righteous live by faith. So you repent. You turn to God, not your wisdom, not your friends, not your money, not anything else, just to God. And then it says you confess, 1 John 1, 8 through 9. If we say we have no sin, if we're unwilling to admit it is sin, if we call it something else, we don't agree with God. There's no salvation there. There's no hope there. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What is the unrighteousness in your life you want to be purified from? It's there for you. He will do it. But you have to confess. God, I agree. This is wrong. This is sin. I admit it. I don't hide it. I don't justify it. I put it upon the blood of Christ. In the name of Jesus, forgive me. Jesus died for that sin, and I believe it. I believe he died for that sin. I'm going to let it go. There is no more shame. There is no more guilt. And now I want to turn. I don't even know what turning means, but I don't want to do it anymore. Father, help me. How much more will a loving father give good gifts to those who ask him? Your father loves you. He knows you. He will help you. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? Are you adding up your willpower, your best efforts, or you have some other thing that's gonna help you get there across the line? It's just God in Christ. You confess. And then finally, as it says, you believe in Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead for you. He is alive. He's not dead. He's the living God. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. And the joy of the Lord fills you. I can tell you the power of God to break you free from sin is the same power of God that sets you free and makes you a new creation. When you become a Christian and you put your faith in Christ that first time, that Holy Spirit within you, his, the Holy Spirit within you continues to work. He continues to bring things to your mind, things that need to change. And when you see them, you don't go do your work. It's the same thing from the beginning to the end. It's faith to faith to faith. I don't mean there's no effort. I don't mean there's no effort. But even that effort is by the power of God in you, the willpower to do it. One of the prayers that I've been praying One of the prayers that I learned that was very helpful was, God, I don't want to, but I want to want to. But I can't change my want to. Would you change my want to? And then I wait. Because if God doesn't change my want to, my want to doesn't change. If he doesn't do it, it doesn't change. He must be my savior. But thank God that he is so good and loving. How do I know he will? Because he gave his son. That's the proof of his love. I'm confident of that. So I run to the throne of grace with confidence to receive grace and mercy in my time of need. Right? So what do you do? Next steps. One, if you are not a Christian yet, repent. Turn to God in Christ. Confess your sin and receive the salvation and the spirit of God he's offering. Father, I agree that I'm a sinner. I can't even list off all my sins, but I know I am and I want to change and I can't. And so I'm asking you to save me, to forgive me. I believe that Jesus died and I died, that he was buried and I was buried, that he was raised and I was raised. I want to be in him. So would you help me? There's a lot of ways to pray it. Mine was just a a scream in the night. God heard it and he was merciful. That's also your prayer as a Christian. Step two, if you are a Christian, same thing. Repent of any known sin. Confess it to the Lord and or anyone you've sinned against. I can't confess it to them. Why? Well, if I confess it to them, I'm gonna, it's gonna be bad. Yes, but your father in heaven will take care of you. Do you believe that? Can you make it right with people? Yeah, but, yeah you can. But if, I make it, but, but, but if I make it right this and I make it right that, no, no, no. You are saying that you won't be safe. You're acting like an orphan. You're not an orphan. Your father's with you. When I confess to my wife, there's three people in the room, me, her, and the Lord. And he will take care of me. I believe him. And I act in faith. And he blesses. So if you want that, you confess. You confess. And then finally, you have to read your Bible every day. Well, as a church, of course, he says that. Wait a minute. You can't believe in the promises of God if you don't hear the promises of God. You can't obey the commands of God if you don't hear the commands of God. You can't have faith in what God says if you don't know what God says. That's why we read the Bible every day. Because we read the Bible, there's just gold on the ground. Reading the Bible is like, it's like there's gold and silver and diamonds and rubies. It's just on the ground everywhere. You, read the, you open the Bible, any part of the Bible, you're just picking up treasure, picking up promises, picking up commands, picking up hope. It's all over the place. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't read any books. I read Batman Forever. There wasn't even a book. It was a movie. 
but they turned it into a book. That's the only book I've read in my life. I'm reading the Bible by myself. I don't know anything about the Bible. I'm opening it, and God is just showing me things. He can show it to you too. Read your Bible. Today, tomorrow, the rest of this week, read your Bible so that you have the words of God to respond to. And then do it again. God speaks. He shows you. You admit it. I can't change. Please help me. Give me faith. You confess. You turn. You walk. And you trust your Savior to save you, to transform you, to liberate you. Do you want this? In the areas you need to change, it's there for you. It's yours for the taking in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the salvation and the power of God that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, unless your spirit is working and opening our hearts and softening our hearts, we have no hope. So we ask God that you would use these words and apply it to us, that you would show us where it is that we need your salvation, your power to transform, and that you would give us the faith to call out to you, to confess it, and to receive in faith the work that you want to do. We thank you for this day. We pray that this would be pleasing to you as we finish with offerings and songs. For you are our Savior and the one we worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.